I'm David Smith, and you're listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. In this series, we'll be talking with researchers and educators who are working to understand how Christian faith affects teaching, learning, and the way we do education. I'm sitting here in the Prince Conference Center on Calvin's campus at the start of the Biennial Kaiser Institute Conference, and I'm with one of the people who's going to be presenting a paper at the conference, Albert Cheng from, uh, from University of Arkansas. So welcome, Albert. Hello, David. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming. And uh, so just tell us a little bit about what you do, what your interests are, where, where do you intersect with education and, and with this conference? Yeah, so uh, I'm currently a professor in education policy right now at the University of Arkansas. We have a Department of Education reform there. Also, just a shameless plug, PhD program. If you want a PhD in education policy, um, come to the best shop in the nation. But anyway, uh, yeah, so professor right now. Started my career in education as a high school math teacher in a local public school in my, uh, near my native hometown in, in uh, the Bay Area in California. You know, eventually went to grad school and now ended up with this academic position. Mm-hmm. And what, what kinds of things do you, do you work on? What have your interests been? Yeah, so most of my research is in school choice policy. So I, so I study private school voucher programs, charter schools, and then kind of less on the policy side, do quite a bit of work on, on faith-based schools. Mostly, I guess my, my main interest in, in thinking about faith-based schooling is kind of studying how, how character formation happens. Mm-hmm. Um, how does moral formation happen? You know, naturally, I guess... Uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to look at faith-based schools per se. I mean, every kind of school has a certain kind of culture or uh, a moral ecology, I guess, if you want to use some uh, terminology that's been thrown around recently. And so it's about looking at distinctive communities and then asking the question, well, you know, what, what do these schools do in terms of formation on things besides conventional outcomes like test scores? Mm-hmm. So, so your work sort of is on kind of the assessment side of this, right? And how do we how do we know what's happening? Yeah, part of it's assessment to study something. Um, it helps to be able to measure it. So maybe that's kind of giving away a bit of my uh, my kind of uh, disciplinary training. So I'm definitely a quantitative type person. You know, look at big data sets, do fancy kind of metrics, and, mm-hmm. and measure things, and design randomized control trials, and so totally use the uh, uh, the tools of quantitative social science um, to, to ask these questions and, and explore mm-hmm. them. And so certainly on, on one side, um, a lot of my work has been on how do we measure character, for instance, you know, I, again, for the practical reason of being able to study it. But, you know, the ultimate question always is, you know, how, how, how is it formed? Who influences mm-hmm. it? What, what do distinctive schools with different value systems, different cultures, how does that interplay with, say, home and other kinds of communities that, that students belong to. You know, how does this all come to, come together and influence the formation of, of students? Mm-hmm. So I was at a conference a few months ago in, in, in Australia and was, was talking to a room full of teachers and school leaders about some of these kind of topics about assessing uh, formation and the kinds of distinctive kinds of learning that take place in faith-based schools. Um, one of the questions I got at the end of the session by a, a slightly worried-seeming person was, um, but do, do you have to try to count everything, right? Um, isn't this trying to put numbers on the work of the Holy Spirit? Aren't you kind of invading this holy space here that we really ought to just sort of trust what God's doing? Isn't it kind of a bit like, you know, David Count trying to count his army and relying on his, num- <laughs> relying on his numbers instead of, uh, instead of you know, are, are you trying to quantify the human heart, right? Or, yeah. so, so how does your work not make you evil? 
Oh. Yeah, well, I, I hope I hope I'm not counting an army um, or anything. But look, I mean, you know, I think as an academic and and I think as as any faithful disciple uh, of of Christ, I mean, you know, we should be in the in the business of truth seeking. Um, and so the question becomes, how do we know what's true? Uh, how do we know what's real? What's good? You know, and and there are a variety of ways to to access that. Mm-hmm. Right. So certainly, faith is one way to access that. Simply doing the work of philosophy and thinking is one way to, to access that. But, you know, another way to access that is through empirical science. And so, look, you know, the, the, the world out there is, is a gift, right, given to us by God, created for us. And, and in some sense, we're, uh, you know, part of our calling is to, to know it, to know it and, and through it know our creator better. Um, mm-hmm. And so, in my mind, putting numbers to things, counting things, that's just one one way we can access the truth, and, and and by you know compiling evidence that way, it can work in tandem with conventional philosophy or um, maybe the work of, of theologians per se. Mm-hmm. So so imagine a you know a Christian school somewhere right, and and they they can already tell you what the math scores are, what the reading scores are what percentage of their students got jobs. Um, maybe they've got a rough idea how many of them go to church. And maybe they do some kind of survey at the end and they find that, you know, 85% of their students believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, what else do they need to know? Uh, what else do we need to devise assessments for? Yeah, so so this this actually reminds me of a it's a pretty popular joke, uh, making fun of economists. And so, so it, I mean, there's many different versions of this, but one version is so an economist has lost his keys and it's dark at night and he can't find where it is. And he knows he, he, didn't, he didn't drop it by the uh, streetlight, but then he's looking at the streetlight and a bystander comes by and says, well, if you know you didn't drop your keys by the streetlight, why are you searching here? And the economist says, uh, well, this is the only place where there's light. I guess the, the moral of the story here we, we tend to focus on what we measure. Now, as I just said, there's, there's nothing wrong with measurement. Again, measurement mm-hmm. is one way to access the truth. But it's always, it's wise to, to take a step back and take stock of what you're measuring. What does it tell you? And then the more important question is, what does it not tell you, right? So if you've got great math scores and, and English scores, kids are going to college at high rates, you know, that tells you one dimension of, of what you're doing to students but not others, right? So the question is what gets left out, which is actually a, a problem that's showing up in conventional public policy research. A couple of colleagues of mine and I, you know, as we study some of these programs, say it's, uh, you know, school choice programs, or, or actually this is also the case in early childhood education, we're, we're actually finding programs boosting test scores, but not improving uh, longer run life outcomes like educational attainment, right? And so this underscores this important consideration that, uh, again, what are you not capturing with some measures? What assumptions are you making? Um, mm-hmm. So certainly for this Christian school, it's great that, that you know, you, you have great test scores, great graduation rates, mm-hmm. and maybe you find some great evidence of uh, orthodoxy um, among your students. But then, you know, so I can think of one thing that's missing from that, which is other ways that students can be faithful. So for instance, what about simply being being excellent and and behaving and acting in a certain way within the life of the school that is faith informed you know how do you treat your neighbor at school what kinds of uh, practices that are specific to the school might you not be doing even if you might be raising test scores or even if the students are professing the right doctrine mm-hmm. 
So, so you could end up with a school where the, you know students are doing really well on your tests and and destroying each other interpersonally. Yes, yes. In between and calling it a Christian school, right? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. one of the so so, so in, you know one of the the, the hot topics in in uh, I guess kind of maybe mainstream public policy and education policy is um, social emotional learning. And so, you know, a lot of this has been popularized by some kind of, you know, work in psychology. So, you know, Angela Duckworth, for instance, and her grit mm-hmm. scale, kind of, you know, popularized by some other uh, other authors who've written about some schools kind of training their uh, fostering grit, you know, persistence mm-hmm. and passion to long-term goals in, in their students. And so, actually, a number of colleagues on, on separate occasions, all, all within the span of a week, actually mentioned to me, you know, um, we, we always keep talking about wanting to improve grit in students because it'll help improve test scores or other academic outcomes. But then I'm sure if you administered the grit scale, measured grit um, among all the world's unsavory dictators, they'd score pretty high mm-hmm. in, on grit. Um, and so it, it does get this question of uh, what it's for. Um, mm-hmm. When we measure something, it might look good in, from one perspective, but what are we missing? How is that picture incomplete? Mm-hmm. And a comment you made a few minutes ago it is, is what's always sort of intrigued and worried me about assessment. You, you said words to the effect of, and excuse me if I'm putting words in your mouth, that you know we tend to pay attention to what we measure, right? And, and so sometimes it's not so much that the thing you're measuring is a bad thing to measure. It's just that if that's primarily what you're measuring, gradually your efforts, your imagination, your energies, your weekends start to get sucked towards this thing that you're measuring. So do you think that actually you know intentionally changing the things we measure is actually a strategy for trying to put our attention in the right place. Yeah, it can be used that way. So, so if you think about you know, 20 years ago when, when No Child Left Behind, high stakes testing and school accountability, when, when that came about. So again, just a bit of background if you're unfamiliar. So in 2000, we had the No Child Left Behind Act and states were then required to administer annual tests to their, to their students in, in certain grade levels. And then, uh, so tests in math and reading mm-hmm. and schools would be evaluated, kind of held accountable to improving those test scores. Well, unsurprisingly, schools started to focus a lot more effort on um, math instruction and reading instruction. Um, and so, you know, obviously this law is not without controversy. Um, uh, you know, one critique of it is the, the focus on math and reading has expanded at the expense of other things like arts and science and history, right? And so there's these trade-offs. And so, yes, assessment can be used to signal an outcome or, or something that's going to be valued. But the, the danger is always then going too far and then forgetting actually why in the first place mm-hmm. you made that move in the first place. And so, you know, the same thing can, can happen with, with assessment. And, and so on one hand, while we might think about, think about measuring assessment for mm-hmm. the sake or measuring character, for instance, for the sake of refocusing our, our, our efforts on this, you know, we don't want to go overboard either. And, and so it's definitely with any metric there's a lot, of, you know, a lot of prudence has to be used, and so maybe this is why some folks get a little, they get a little uncomfortable when we when we start attaching numbers to things, and it's because we we think numbers are some kind of absolute truth. You know, there's a number on it, so it must be real and accurate, and mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to do that with with assessing character, assessing mm-hmm. moral formation, you know, because these things are inherently messy. There, there's a lot of contingencies to this thing, mm-hmm. you know, to to what this is. And so while we don't want to be completely uninformed with, say, quantitative evidence, we don't want to go too far and let the numbers kind of dictate everything that we do. 
you know, we want to reflect, right? And mm -hmm. so to, to kind of return to the point I made earlier, um, there are many ways to access the truth. Mm -hmm. And so in schools, look, parents and teachers observe students all the time, and they form some judgment about the students. Now imagine coupling all of that with some, some data, uh, some, some right. quantitative data on the same outcomes. Mm -hmm. Imagine the, the kind of you know, finer grain, more accurate look you can get at the student and how you might take right. all that information to better serve the student. Mm -hmm. So another little loop that I've heard even from sometimes from colleagues is, is the sense that there's a train of thought that goes, um, when I'm writing learning objectives and you know, course purpose documents and so on, I've heard some people express a reluctance to include goals like particular virtues, right, on, on the grounds that, well, you can't test those, right? So and if I can't test them, then probably I shouldn't put them in as objectives, right, because they're not testable. And then it, it seems to me the risk then is you end up with something that you might actually think is quite important and quite central that somehow gets edited out of your statement of what it is you're trying to do because you're worried that you can't test it. Are they right that we, like, we know how to test math, but we can't test... You know whether it's, whether a student's becoming more kind or you know being being uh, a person that that uses um, this kind of data all the time, you know I wonder how well we actually test math sometimes. I mm -hmm. mean, so I, you know I alluded to some some research um, that's being done in, in in school choice where gains in test scores in math and reading test scores don't translate into higher educational attainment, right? And so even in with with using math scores or just maybe what we think of as conventional cognitive ability or academic knowledge, gains in those measures might not reflect actual gains in mm -hmm. math and reading. There are ways to move test scores without actually making sure the, the, the student knows more. So, you know, I guess that's, that's one side of, of, of uh, maybe my response to that, which is to say that there's, there's more uncertainty around, say, math and reading test scores than we think. Right. And this is, you know, there's that uncertainty around any measure. And so this is why... Look, we can, we can make attempts to, to measure anything, and they'll certainly tell us certain bits of information. Some measures will be better than others. They'll give a clearer signal than others. But at the end of the day, um, again, if we want to get a good look about you know, reality and what the truth of uh, where the student at, is at in terms of his or her formation, we take a lot of pieces of data and then kind of form mm -hmm. some kind of narrative and opinion and conclusion in our mind. And then, again, exercise prudence to figuring out how do I respond given what I'm observing. So let's get concrete on this because you've been part for the last year and a half or so of a, a Kaiser Institute project where we're trying to actually build something that does gather data around uh, school uh, students' faith formation, mm -hmm. right, the, the, that, it, that, is, that is of this kind of... It's in this more nebulous area, right, yeah, right. Of, 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 you know, our students growing as Christians. Is the school meeting its broader mission, right? It's not just cognitive gains. It's not just, you know, test scores and so on. It's trying to ask about, about Christian practices. So how, how do we concretely go about trying to do that? Yeah, well, uh, carefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, this instrument, the, the Practicing Faith Survey, as, as we're calling it now. So in it, we, we've got um, an assessment tool that measures faith formation on, on five dimensions. And, you know, maybe to, uh, to preface this by saying, so this is not a, uh, a tool that assesses students' assent to certain belief propositions. So this is not a tool that, um, you know, asks students if they think, that, you know, Jesus is the Son of God and if they 
agree to that, then we're calling them mature. Um, you know, what this is about is how are students actually embodying their faith within the life of the school? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the d- domains, um, for instance, is relational practices. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on one hand, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of maybe ask the, a, a level one question which is to the student, uh, should you love your neighbor as yourself? And, you know, I think most Christian school students will probably say, say yes. But whether they actually do that um, is a separate question. And so with the Practicing Faith Survey, we want to drill deeper, right? We, don't, we want to go beyond uh, what kids say they believe or what they think they should do and try to capture in these measures what they actually do. So, for instance, instead of do you believe you should love your neighbor, do you notice uh, or when you, when you notice your classmate struggling on um, an assignment or a learning objective in class, do you take time to, to go by and, and check in on the student and encourage that student, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's an embodiment of the golden rule of your neighbor. Right. Um, and it's, it's not only just an embodiment kind of in the abstract in any particular context or, or any general context, but it's a particular embodiment um, within the life of the school. And so this is the kind of, you know, we, we, want, we want to, to cast faithfulness, you know, spiritual maturity in some sense through how the, how the kids are, are, are acting. And so uh, we've got uh, uh, relational practices as a domain. We've got a whole domain on intellectual practices. You know, how, how are they faithfully kind of embodying and, and living out their vocation to be truth seekers? Mm-hmm. Do they consider alternate points of view? Do they consider other maybe Christian readings to try to integrate what they're learning in school and, you know, in, in, say, math class with their faith. You know, how, how do they react when, when they find out that they're wrong, right? You know, there's, right. there's a certain kind of intellectual humility that's being embodied. Um, yeah. So relational practices, intellectual practices. We've got one on introspective practices, which is, um, uh, you know, asking kids to discern what motivates them to learn, right? Are they, are they learning simply because um, my, my mom wants me to do well in school or to simply get a good job? Or... Are you learning because you want to be prepared for your next vocation after you're done being a student? Or are you learning because um, you see creation as a gift mm-hmm. from God to be uh, you know, discovered and, 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 and to become familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. So introspective practices, benevolence practices, which is do you seek the well-being of uh, those outside your school community? So schools are you know, positioned in a place within communities to seek its good, right? Schools can, mm-hmm. can be in the city for the city mm-hmm. um, that they're in. And then finally, uh, formational practices. I guess this is kind of the, um, the, the, the meta virtue, you know? Are you, uh, are you doing things that would, are you engaging in practices that would assist with, you know, formation and other things? So, and here you might get to your more uh, commonplace, you know, devotional practices, prayer, seeking out mentors, sitting down with peers to discuss uh, struggles in life, um, your future plans, those kinds of things. Right. So to go back to the earlier person's worry, it's not so much here that we're kind of trying to put a, you know, some kind of uh, measuring device into the person's heart to see what's there. It's more like looking for signs of investment in certain kinds of growth trajectories um, where right. someone might be able to live out their faith in their life as a student. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the goal isn't to maximize your score on some of these things it's not you know the goal is not to cross a certain threshold and all of a sudden you say you're proficient at um, relational practices Mm -hmm. per se but you know with this tool I mean we we want to give students and and schools a snapshot of Mm -hmm. where where they're at in that current moment and look for all of us 
you know, we're all working out our salvation to, to some extent. And so during certain seasons of life, one dimension might peak while the other lowers. And, you know, faithfulness um, is, is about reflection and then, you know, opening yourself up to, to the, the work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and to then think about, well, you know, what can I work on? You know, asking, seeking after, you know, what, what the Lord might be doing in your particular, this particular time. And so, again, this is, this is a tool to, to help schools get a better snapshot of, of what they're, they might already be observing in students. Mm-hmm. And who knows, they might, the tool might actually um, uncover something that, that you didn't observe had it not been for this data, right? And, and, and you know, I should mention also at this point is that, you know, our, our intention here is that as students take the, the assessment tool, they're going to get a, an immediate kind of digest of, of where they're at. And so, you know, upon getting that, there'll be a whole suite of resources that we're going to be pointing students to. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know our, our intent there is to, to get the student to take ownership and initiative right. of their own faith formation, not simply just leave it to parents or, right. or teachers to... We don't want them to just wait to have someone do something to them. You know, right. We want them to be proactive in this. So it seems like the where do I go from here question or the what can I do next question could apply at a whole number of levels. So when you were talking about the relational things, it made me think of uh, something we saw in, in our research project on, uh, on digital technology in Christian schools. And one of the things we saw across a lot of classroom observations, we did 70-odd classroom observations and a lot of focus groups with students, was that in, the, in these Christian schools where, again, they, they would all have said yes to the question, you know, should I love my neighbor? But uh, we found that students were very aware that there were other students who were struggling with technology addictions, with distractions in class, that it was affecting their performance, etc. But we, I think, almost never saw a student actually intervene in another student's technology mm. behavior. Mm. That, you know, the, the kid sitting next to you can be sitting watching YouTube videos or whatever, and, and it's somehow the teacher's job, right? The, you know, the students weren't thinking of that as an application of loving your neighbor, mm. to actually say something to the person sitting right next to you in class. And yeah, it seems to me when you start learning something like that, that, that immediately creates a possible growth trajectory for the student. So is this an arena in which they can learn how to be their brother's keeper mm-hmm. right, in their immediate environment. But there's also a growth, growth curve for the teacher here right, as, as well, because you know, is the teacher structuring their classroom learning in a way that encourages students to take responsibility for each other? Mm-hmm. Or is it like feeding the ducks where the teacher's sort of, you know, <laughs> sort of <laughs> throwing yeah, out yeah, bread yeah. and each duck's trying to get some, right? And right. Uh, so, so there's kind of a, there's potentially a payoff for the student and the teacher here. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We, we think, you know, teaching and learning, I mean, we, we, we kind of think they're two sides of, of the same coin. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, there's the learning side of, of faith formation. You know, are the students maturing in, in, in the faith? Um, you know, how... Are they, are they growing in faithfulness as their current vocation as students? And then, um, yeah, on the flip side, there's the, the you know, what's the school doing? Mm-hmm. Um, how, can, how can teachers come alongside in their everyday practices? I mean, mm-hmm. you, know, we, you know, what we hope is that this is not something that, that simply uh, catalyzes some kind of special program and special intervention to address maybe what schools perceive as a deficiency. I mean, we, we do hope that, that in the everyday, the mundane kind of everyday practices, right, that, that are going on in the classroom, that all this, you know, will, will come together and, and ultimately develop more, more faithful students. Mm-hmm. So this is measurement potentially leading to new teaching practices, new student practices, by trying to find out what it is we're really doing and not just what we say we believe. Yeah, exactly, right? right? And, and again, the, the, the numbers help discern things that you may otherwise have missed. 
Yeah, um, we'll we'll see where where this goes. I'm I'm excited to to have been a part of this project. I, I like what we have so far, and mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I do hope this would be of a, a great benefit to Christian education and, and education mm-hmm. more broadly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming in to talk to us about it. Well, thanks yeah. for having me. I'm glad glad to be here. You've been listening to the Faith in Teaching podcast from the Kaiser Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University. Learn more at www.pedagogy.net.